Well, I had some interesting uh, conversations this past week with a few folks about um, the topic that we're going to be looking at over the next few weeks, a few months actually, about community. And it's interesting that as, as we begin to talk about what it means to be an authentic spiritual community, that it raises up all kinds of things with people. I recognize that some of you that sit here this morning and come uh, to this place maybe have not had the greatest experiences in a faith community, uh, whether it's a church or a parachurch organization or whatever. And so I think that you perhaps offer a little skepticism about whether or not a place like this or any place for that matter can truly be um, the context in which you can grow in your faith and you can come to know Christ in a deeper way. And... Um, I guess I tell you that because I, I'm, I'm not, my goal isn't to convince you and to, to make, make you all become members of this church. Uh, my hope as we, as we look at this and as we invite you into this journey together to participate in community with us, that, that God would reveal himself to you. And as I said last week, it's not about church membership. It's not about all those sorts of religious things. It's about coming to know Christ in a deeper way and becoming more like him. And uh, that's my prayer. As we, um, as we journey together. I ended last week's message by asking the question, and it was a sincere question, is it truly possible for us or any faith community to truly become authentic? To truly become an authentic spiritual community of believers that practice the things that I talked about last week. Honesty and openness. Compassion. Grace and forgiveness. And mission. And mission. Is it possible? And my answer was a somewhat resounding yes, but it was a yes. It is possible. And I suggested that it's possible, but it needs to begin with us individually, personally. Community will only happen to the degree that we allow God to change us personally, to transform us and to make us more like Christ. It really does begin with us being changed, and stepping into this community and becoming a part of it. So this morning I want to look more closely at the concept of transformation or change. What it is, how it happens, or in some cases, how it doesn't happen, why it doesn't happen, why it doesn't happen more often, and finally, how can we know if we are in fact in this process of becoming more like Christ? Because I also suspect, as we sit here this morning, some of us feel stuck. We've known Christ for a long time. We've been a part of a church for a long time. And yet, our faith doesn't feel or seem to be very dynamic. We don't seem to be growing or moving along. Some of us sit here this morning, and this is all new to us. You've never heard this stuff before. And so I want to invite you to step into this process of faith. Begin this process of transformation. Allow Christ to begin to work in you and through you. Human transformation. Human transformation. Personal transformation is the primary goal of the spiritual life. I don't know how many times I've said this over the years, but the goal of our faith is to become more like Christ. If that's not why we do this, then we should do something else. The goal of the spiritual life is to become more like Christ, to be transformed into His image. The Apostle Paul talked a lot in his letters about transformation. In fact, many would say, and I would agree, that this concept of change or transformation 
is probably the foundational concept of the entire New Testament. He uses the word transformation, and actually the Greek word is a word called morphou. Morphou. From which we get the word morph, as in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. All right? The word metamorphosis. Okay? Morphou. And Paul uses it over and over to describe this inward and this real formation of the essential nature of who we are at our core. That what he's getting at is that there needs to be this change from the inside out where you and I truly, truly become different people. In fact, the image that this word evoked to Paul's audience had to do with the formation and the growth of an embryo inside a mother's womb. Interesting. So when, you, when his audience heard this word, this transformation word, They were thinking in terms of of the growth of an embryo, the development, the process, the intricate and secret process of growth. Paul used the word in his letter to the Galatians when he agonized that Christ be formed in them, be formed in them, fully developed in them, made visible, made palpable in their lives, in everything that they did. He used another form of the word when he told the Roman Christians that God had predestined them to be conformed to the image of Christ, to the image of His Son, to have the essential form of the original, to look like Christ. And not only that, but to be durable and pliable and shapeable and moldable. All the things that are required if we're to truly grow. We've got to be flexible. We've got to be willing to change. Still another form of the word appears again in Romans, and maybe you're more familiar with this one, when Paul tells the believers that they are not to be conformed to the world around them, but to be transformed, metamorphosis, transformed by the renewing of their minds, changed, listen to this, in such a way that they would barely be recognizable to someone who knew them before. Barely recognizable because of this inward spiritual transformation, changed from a caterpillar (laughs) into a butterfly. Transformation is not merely about making sure that we know where we're going when we die. It's not about gaining more knowledge of the Bible. Spiritual transformation is really about learning from God how to live like Jesus Christ. Bible reading is important. Prayer is important. Understanding what heaven is is important. But ultimately, transformation is about learning from God how to live like Christ how to do the things that Jesus did, and more importantly, how to do them with his attitude. How to do them with his attitude. And I would suggest that it's only in the context of community together that we truly learn to live like Christ. It's only in the context of community that any of us can truly be transformed. We need each other. Kate and Matt need you who are parents, to help them as they parent Lauren. We need each other as we journey together and follow Christ. I can't do this alone, and neither can you. But when it comes to the reality of transformation, there is a problem. In fact, there's a few problems. The first one is this. Most of us don't really believe that transformation is possible. Many of you, me included, don't believe that people can really change. We certainly don't believe that we can really change, 
and we don't believe other people can either. How often do you say things like this? Oh, he's always been like that. She will never do things differently. We say it all the time. And then you throw in the faith piece and you say, yeah, but this person became a follower of Christ. And you say, well, yeah, but that's great, but they're still fundamentally you know, annoying, obnoxious, rude. And that will never change. God bless them. You know, God have mercy on their soul. <laughs> we don't believe that transformation is possible, oftentimes. We want to become more like Christ. All of you would say, yes, that's what I want in my life, but it just doesn't seem to happen, no matter what we do, no matter how hard we try. We can't morph ourselves into little Christs. It's hard to do. And then there's this problem. We're not really surprised when change doesn't happen, right? We're just cynical enough to say, well, it doesn't surprise me that that person continues to be this way or that way. They've always been that way. And it seems to me that their faith and this whole religious thing is just kind of a, you know, added extra. Something they do on the weekend. <laughs> we don't expect it, and so when it doesn't happen, it's no big surprise. In fact, we would be shocked, I think, if people really changed. Right? If, if somebody fundamentally changed and you saw evidence of that, you would be really surprised. Go, wow! And we'd probably attribute it to some sort of mental issue or, or whatever. Change. And let's, for not, let's not forget this problem, the problem of the church, the faith community. Most of us don't expect ourselves to change. Or we don't expect other people to change. And because we rarely see it happen... Even in the context of the church, of the faith community, we begin to question whether or not this is the appropriate context for spiritual growth and change at all. And the truth is, many people in our day have decided that the church, the local community of faith, is not the best context for spiritual growth. And so they've looked elsewhere, or they've looked nowhere at all. It's back to that me and God, God yes, church no kind of thing. I was sharing this with the teachers this morning, and I just kind of moved on. And one of the teachers raised their hand and said, so, say more about the church problem. And I, I'm going to tell you what I told her. No, I'm not going to say more about it. <laughs> I'm going to move on. But it's the reality of the culture that we live in. Many people look at the church, the community of faith, and they say, that isn't the safest, best, or right place for growth. And so I choose to do something different than that. But the real problem is not that we seem to be failing to grow and to change. I think it's that we've settled. We've just sort of thrown our hands up and settled for mediocrity, for status quo spirituality. In the words of one writer, we've become far too easily pleased. We've said, this is as good as it's going to get. This is as spiritual as I'm going to become. There's nothing else I can do. And so we settle. We've become in C.S. Lewis's words, like ignorant children who want to go on making mud pies in the slums because we can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the seashore. We're content to make mud pies when God is inviting us to the seashore to walk along the beach, and we'd rather just sit and play in the mud. That's all of us. Some of us are stuck because we don't know what to do. Some of us are just simply... Ignorant. So how do we know if God is still at work in our lives? 
How do we know if the Holy Spirit is really active, changing us, transforming us? Or how do we know if we're just settling for something less than the real thing, for this pseudo-transformation? If I see some change every now and then, if I'm kinder to my kids, if I'm more patient with my wife, then I'm okay. You know, God must be doing something. And I'm okay with that. So how do we know? I want you to consider asking yourself this morning four questions. Okay, Honestly, ask yourself these. As I share these with you, you ask yourself how this applies to you. I want you to consider these warnings that Jesus offered to the religious leaders of his day. You know, we 21st century Christians are a little smug. We, we read in the New Testament about the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious leaders, and we say, well, thank God I'm not like them. And the reality is, we're just like them. We're the religious people of the day, many of us. So consider these questions, and here's the first one. Am I authentic? Am I authentic? Jesus chastised the religious leaders for appearing one way outwardly and really living a different way inwardly. He warned them about being inauthentic. And this is what he said. You are careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you're filthy. But inside you're filthy. It's about integrity. It's about how you appear and how you really are. Most of us are preoccupied with appearing to be spiritual rather than being our authentic selves in Christ. It's the way we talk, the way we act, it's the things we do. We want people to know that we are truly spiritual people. As followers of Christ, we live in a particular tension. And if you've never heard this before or articulated it, you feel it. And here's what it is. We're supposed to be different, right? We're supposed to be set apart. This faith that we profess is supposed to make a difference in the way that we live our lives. We're supposed to change, and we're supposed to grow. And yet the reality is, as I said earlier, it doesn't always happen. We're supposed to be more loving, more gracious, kinder, more patient. Should I stop? And because of this, and because we know it, most of us push really hard to be different, to show people that we're different, people we work with, people in our families. But sadly, instead of demonstrating that we're holy, we usually only manage to convince people that we're really weird. Right? If you're like me, you probably find yourself saying and doing the things that you think a spiritual person should say and do. And it almost always comes across as being insincere, inauthentic, and artificial. We're like the little boy in the Sunday school class. You may have heard this before. He learned quickly the kinds of answers that the teacher was looking for. The teacher asked one day, what is brown and furry and has a long tail and stores up nuts for the winter? Well, the little boy muttered, I guess the answer is Jesus, but it sure sounds a lot like a squirrel to me. (laughs) We all act like this from time to time. We give spiritual answers even when we don't know what we're talking about. The answer is always Jesus, and somehow we'll get there, right? That's what we do. So that's the first question. Am I authentic? Then the second question, am I humble? So right there we have a problem, right? So if I say I'm humble, I'm really not humble. Am I in the process of becoming more humble or humble at all? The religious leaders love to be noticed. 
They reveled in their prominence. Jesus said how they loved to sit at the head of the table at banquets and in the most prominent seats in the synagogue. As soon as we begin to pursue spiritual growth, as soon as we begin to take it seriously, to pursue what we don't call much anymore virtue, right? To follow Christ. We can easily become proud people. Proud people. We can even become, should I say, judgmental. That person certainly isn't growing in the way that I am. Why would she choose to do that? Isn't she a Christian? We point fingers. One of the greatest examples I can think of comes from The Simpsons. Homer, you all know Homer, the Flanders family has been gone for a while. Ned Flanders is Homer's fundamentalistic neighbor, right? So Homer sees Flanders and he says, you know, where have you been? Where's your family been? And his Christian neighbor, Ned, says, we've been at a Christian camp learning how to become more judgmental. (laughs) It's called satire. (laughs) But you know what? There's truth. There's truth in that. We don't set out to become judgmental people. I think I'm going to become a Christian so I can become judgmental. We don't do that. But when we begin to pursue spiritual growth, it's easy to fall into that. I think it's probably one of the reasons why God graciously hides our growth from us. Spiritual growth happens like the embryo in the womb. It happens secretly and slowly. And I believe that God does that to save us from being proud people. Because every once in a while you catch a glimpse and you go, wow, maybe I am growing up a bit. But more often than not, right, we don't, we don't see that. Am I becoming authentic? Am I becoming humble? Am I approachable? Am I approachable? This is the third question I want you to think about. The term rabbi set the religious leaders apart. And Jesus says that they seem to enjoy the separation. They seem to enjoy it. They enjoy the attention that they get on the streets. And they enjoy being called rabbi. I don't enjoy being called reverend. It feels to me like Seventh Heaven, you know, the TV show. Reverend Camden. The reverend. Let's call the reverend. And I technically am a reverend. That's my... My title. I don't like that much. Well, in Jesus' day, lepers and prostitutes and tax collectors, they were the social outcasts. They were not only disregarded, but they were ignored. They were scorned. They were shunned by everyone, even the religious leaders of the day. Or maybe I should say, especially the religious leaders. They were untouchable sinners. When they walked down the street, people walked on the other side of the street. But unlike the rabbis, Jesus Christ was approachable. In fact, he usually made the first move. He was no doubt the most approachable person that's ever lived. And everyone that was around him recognized that. Authentic spirituality is like this. It's compelling. It draws people. Not to the person, but to Christ. The reason that I am a believer is because I was drawn to somebody who loved Christ. And yeah, I admired and I respected the person, but I saw something in their life that was more compelling than they were. Are others drawn to you because of Christ in you? Or are they repelled because of your religion, because of your faith? Do you use that sometimes as a barrier to separate yourself? I certainly don't want to be around those kind of people. And if that's what we're doing, we're no different than these religious leaders of Jesus' time. Finally, the fourth question, 
And this is a really important one. Am I pursuing spiritual growth? Am I intentionally pursuing spiritual growth in my life? It doesn't just happen. It's because you turn on the Christian radio station, you don't become more spiritual. The rabbis insisted on religious rule-keeping. And the result, as we read, was a crushing burden to the people that tried to follow They crush you with impossible religious demands, Jesus said, and they never lift a finger to help ease the burden. The pursuit of righteousness, of transformation and change, as many of you know, is hard work. It's exhausting. It's frustrating. I don't want to change. I like who I am. I don't want to change. I mean, it's almost like this, right? And we know there are these areas in our life that need to change, and we just won't do it. It's exhausting. It's crushing. It's hard. And so what happens is some of us just simply quit. And we say, being a good person is good enough. That's it. And we get out of the game. We become the kind of people described by writer Stephen Mosley. We are a peculiar people, set at odd angles to the world rather than being an attractive light that illumines the world. We just become peculiar and odd and nothing more. When we cease to pursue spiritual growth, we resort to religious rule-keeping and we devote our lives to that and we miss out on love and joy and the peace that comes with knowing Christ. And if that's what faith is, it's no wonder that people don't want a part of that. We don't want to keep rules. Changing growth is hard. Spiritual transformation is hard work. Caterpillars don't easily become butterflies. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. God is the one who accomplishes the change in us. Right? So as you're listening this morning, thinking, okay, I've got to do this, and I've got to do that, and I've got to... God is the one who does it. Our job is to simply say, here I am. Have at it. Be careful when you say that, because that's what God is good at changing us. He's the one who does the difficult work in our lives. Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. God, by His Spirit, is the one who transforms us and makes us like His Son. And He's the one who will ultimately transform this community to become more like His Son as well. It's hard work. And the really hard part is to simply give up and let God have at it. That's what I want to call you to over these next few weeks months. Let go. Give up. Let God begin to do something in you and be amazed. It's a slow process. God is at work. So if the goal of community is authentic spirituality, which I talked about last week, and the goal of authentic spiritual life is transformation, then what's the goal or the purpose of those of us who are in this process of being changed and transformed? Is it just for the sake of transformation? So, okay, now I'm changed, now I'm a good person, that's it. No, it's this. And we're going to talk more about this in the weeks ahead. It's mission. Being in Christ leads to doing something. But unfortunately, we usually do, 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 and we never be. Transformation necessarily leads to us doing something in the name of Christ, becoming His heart, His head, His eyes, and His hands to the world. And then the really peculiar thing is that as we engage in that mission, we continue to be transformed by that 
experience as well. You see, it's just this ongoing thing that happens. You need to step into it. You need to step into it this morning. Ask God to begin that work of transformation in your lives and in your heart.